Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Well, I'm going to keep my promise. Last week, we preached a sermon called Let's Go to Hell. If you didn't hear last week, you can go to our podcast and listen to the audio. We don't yet do videos of the services. We need a couple things by way of equipment. Uh, It's going to be quite an investment to get there. And I I really do want to get there. As of right now, everything's available uh, via audio on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, uh, whatever other platforms we have it on, you can listen to all that through the Church Center app. And uh, listen, there's also some material and content that we just started putting on the app. You can also find on a separate podcast called NG Extras. And they're just some table talks and discussions that myself and some other staff pastors do, along with some uh, Christian volunteer leaders in the church. You, you should really check those things out. We got some interesting topics that we're talking about, and I'm going to actually do one. My wife and I are going to do one together as a follow-up to today's sermon, so you need to check that out here in the next couple weeks to come. Luke 16, we're going to do part two of this sermon today. And I'm glad that the Holy Spirit led us to split this thing up. Uh, I I believe that we were in the perfect will of God last week, dropping it off where we did. And I want to endeavor with His help to preach the second part of this message about the very discomforting and controversial subject of hell. In Luke 16, Jesus tells us a a true story, an actual event that happened where a rich man and a beggar, the beggar was actually named in the story. His name was Lazarus. They both died around the same time, and they both went to a place called Hades. I don't have time to re-preach the message from last week, but in the story, Jesus talks about the rich man opening his eyes after death, and he opened his eyes in a place called hell. He was on the punishment side. The the beggar named Lazarus, who apparently was known by God and had faith in God's word, went to the paradise side of Hades. And in awful torment and suffering, the rich man cries out to the Old Testament saint Abraham, who at that time was still in the paradise side of Hades. We're going to pick up in Luke 16 and verse number 24, where the rich man cries out and says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. Remember I talked about that last week. At that time in Hades, there was a giant chasm that separated those in punishment and those in paradise. And he he explains this. He says, They which would pass from here to you can't. Neither can those on that side pass to us. Notice notice what the rich man said in verse 27. He said, I pray thee therefore. Now he keeps calling Abraham father because he was the founding father of the Jewish people. And this man was a Jew by birth and heritage, yet he went to hell. His religion did him no good. His traditionalism did him no good. And he says, I'm praying and I'm asking you, Father Abraham, look at this, that you would send Lazarus to my father's house. Send him to my father's house. Now, now Lazarus is in, is in paradise. 
There is something about these Lazarus jokers where people just wanting to bring them out of heaven or paradise and send them back into the real world. This is not the same Lazarus of John 11, by the way. Notice what he says. Send into my father's house, for I have five brethren. I have five brothers. I have five family members that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Verse 29, Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. What a sobering statement right here. He says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. I want to preach part two of this sermon, Let's Go to Hell. And I want to recap quickly a couple things we said last week. Our two main points from last week, in visiting hell, we see it as an eternal destination. Everyone dies, and everyone immediately goes one of two places the moment they die. It applied in the contextual history of our story in Luke 16. It applies to this very day. The moment you die, you're going to go one of two places. You're either going to hell or you're either going to heaven. If you go through Luke 16 and you visit hell, you begin to view it also in its biblical description. Jesus gives us the most descriptive talk about the very physical and spiritual aspects of hell or Hades. He says it's a place of suffering where people are burning. It's in there. He says it's a place of supplication where people are begging. He says it's a place of separation where people are banished. I want you to see that today we're going to visit hell, but when we do collectively and individually, we're going to visit hell and we're going to make a personal decision. I want to preach this last point as an exposition of today's message. We're going to visit hell and together and individually, it is my hope that every man and every woman, every boy and every girl leaves this auditorium today and makes a personal decision about their life and their eternity. Can I say to you by way of introduction, it is decision time. Today is decision time. I was told very early in ministry when I used to go and preach at the jails in Augusta and the prison system, there was an older preacher that would go in and he would come out and at the end, we would tell, we would give a report of how many people made a decision that day and trusted in Christ as their Savior. We kept this up so we could brag about what God did in the prison ministry that day when we went to church that night. And this one, Brother Mike is what we called him. He'd come out pouring with sweat, holding this Bible, and we'd say, Brother Mike, how'd it go? And he'd say, we had 80 decisions. We're like, 80? He said that you would think we'd pick up on it every week because there'd be a different number of guys in that cell block. We had 89 decisions. We had 63 decisions. And then they finally caught on. They'd say, Brother Mike, how many people made the decision to trust Christ? He'd say 10. And I'd be like, man, why do you always come out and say that? He goes, there was 80 people in there. And I preached the gospel, and I gave them the truth. And 80 people made a decision to be saved or to not be saved, to respond to God or to not respond to God. Not including kids, there's about 250, maybe 250 plus people sitting right now in this room. And there's going to be 250 plus decisions in just a few minutes. Everybody in this room, whether you raise your hand or don't, whether you come to the altar or don't, whether you cry or you don't, whether you pray or you don't, whether you respond or you don't, every man, every woman, every first time, second time, every member, everybody today is making a decision. Get this, whether you're lost or you're saved, you're going to make a decision today. It is decision time. And I believe there is nothing that will impact or alter a decision-making part of a person more than faced with the reality of death and eternity. Death and eternity is a very sobering thought. In fact, last week was a very sobering spirit in this. You could feel 
the spiritual sobriety setting in on this room. You could see, it was almost like you could see the light bulbs going off over people's, I mean, people who have been a Christian for 30 years and been in church for three decades heard things about hell that they have never heard or contemplated in their entire lifetime last week. And here's the sad thing. Most people, not to my standard, not to yours, but to Jesus' standard, most people are not going to heaven. I, 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 do not, I do not tremble or hesitate in that statement. But based on what Jesus said, most people on our planet, most people in our country, most people that you and I know are not going to heaven. And the sad thing is, most of them don't even know it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many, look at that, many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Remember what I said last week in closing. That people do not have to go to hell. People do not have to perish in everlasting destruction away from God. In fact, people are not supposed to go to hell. I referenced something last week, and I wanted to show it to you by way of Scripture. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus tells us something interesting about hell. He says, depart from me, you curse it into everlasting fire. Look what he says. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Let me remind you, hell was not made for you. Hell was not meant for you. My Bible tells me that God was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come unto the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus, I might preach today right now, what Jesus Christ can do for people. He said in John 14 and verse number two, look at it with me. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Hell was not made for you. Heaven was. And when Jesus said, I I am the truth, I am the life, and I am the way. He is the only means and method in which you will ever get to heaven. You can't know God and you can't get to God. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. And you cannot be drawn to God unless the Holy Ghost grips your heart with the word of truth and shows you that you need him. I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I think I'll be a Christian today. Oh, I think I just want to trust God today. No, it was God that initiated the conversation. It was God that started the dialogue. My Bible teaches and tells me that we love God because he first loved us. I wonder if there's anybody right now that can help me take a praise break and rejoice that it was God that dialed your number and called your name when you didn't even know that you were worth a visit. God gave you a thought showed up in showed up in your life and gave you grace. Oh, that'll make somebody want to stand up and shout. That'll make somebody want to go to church. Bless God, that'll make a Methodist want to take a lap. Somebody needs to say amen right there. It does. It blesses me when I know that I do not have to go to hell. I've been told to go a few times, but I don't have to. I can't go. I can't. Go. Hell wasn't prepared for you. Heaven was. And God wants you to go to heaven with him. Going to hell is like dying inside of a burning locked room. Except the lock is on the inside where you are. Dying without God. Dying separated from belief in Christ is like living your life and dying inside of a locked burning room when you had the ability to let yourself out. If we were to follow you in Luke 16, if this story was about you, at your death, where would we follow you? What would be your eternal destination? Can I submit to you very quickly, if you're in this room and you're not a Christian and you're not saved, if you are going to hell, you can make the decision to trust Jesus and not go there today. 
But as far as the believer is concerned, you and I would show very great negligence to tune out right now and disregard this story about hell. Just because you have been rescued from the wrath that is to come doesn't mean that you don't have anything to take away from its realities. In verses 27 to 31, which I did not preach on last week for a reason, in verses 27 to 31, Jesus presents the rest of the story. And I imagine when he got to this part of the story, it prompted a deep-seated response from the listening audience inside of the depths of their soul. And those people hearing him teach were faced with a decision that they would have to make regarding hell or heaven. And here we go. Even those already going to heaven had a decision to make. Now, you, you may say, now, hold on now. If I'm going to heaven and Jesus preaches on hell, or, or you preach on hell, why would I still have a decision to make? I'm already going. I got my ticket stamped. I got my bags packed. I know what flight I'm getting on. Why would I have to make a decision today if I'm already going? I'm so glad you asked me that question because I want to answer it here. I believe for every born-again believer at New Grace in this very room right now, there are some truths found in hell that should change the way you live your life. Maybe said in another way, there are some principles in hell that you need in your life. There are some takeaways in hell that we need in our church. There are some principles that we need in our ministry. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. You need to pay attention very closely to what Jesus said and do not miss these takeaways because these takeaways lead you and I to make a decision even though we're already saved. Every believer still has a decision to make. If you don't believe me, look at verse number 27. Verse number 27, it's on the screen for your reading. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, the rich man calling out to Abraham, send Lazarus, send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. If you're writing down notes, I want you to write this down. The first takeaway is this. Nobody in hell wants anybody else to come there. People in hell believe more about the afterlife and eternity than any person sitting in this room. Our faith has limitations because we are stimulated by the touchable, the tangible, and the visible. We are prompted and persuaded by the audible. So therefore, in this life, we cannot fully relate to the reality of the afterlife. Yet this man who found himself ensnared in a place of torment for all of eternity, and he was in the very few fresh minutes of being there, the Bible teaches and tells us that immediately, watch this, he had compassion and concern for those who had not yet come. We need some of that in Christianity in the 21st century. We need that kind of compassion. We need that kind of concern. We need that kind of afterlife awareness in the body of Christ right now. Because the last time I checked, the little G God of this world had blinded the minds and the understanding of humanity. And people don't realize that they are dying and living in the darkness every day of their life. And they do not realize that there's an alternate route, that there's an alternate dimension, that there's an alternate opportunity for them to know God. They are blinded by it. They have a veiled mindset. They don't see it. They don't know about it. And the Bible teaches and tells us that this man who was fully aware was fully awake that hell was real. He was so convinced of its reality that he immediately had a burden for those he cared about to not come. I wrote this down. There is more of a burden for the unsaved in hell right now than there is for the church of the living God today. It's interesting that we as the church, in the 21st century, especially Americanized Christianity, we set up shop, a piece of property with a building or a facility 
We get all of our bells and whistles and we get all of the supplemental attachments to our modernized Christianity and we flip the lights on and we turn the air on and we pull the plug and we get open for business on Sunday and we want the world to come. But yet Jesus never told us as the church to set up shop, open our doors and expect the world to come. For Jesus coupled with the great commandment, gave us a great commission, and he told us to go into all the world. And let me say this, the reason most of the world is lost is not the world's fault. The reason most of the world is lost, let me take that a little bit closer to the house. The reason most of your friends are lost and the most of your family is lost because the church in the 21st century has dropped the ball on being the body of Christ. We are not an evangelistic extension of his mission or his ministry, and we want people to come, yet we don't want to go. I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach. Listen to me right here. My question to you today is where is the burden for the unbelieving? Where is the burden for those that we say we love and those we say we care about? Where is the burden? Why are we not bothered that eternity is real and it's either heaven or it's hell? And most of the people that you and I say we care about are actually going there, yet it doesn't bother us. Why is it that we can go on about our life and we can reach out and pursue aggressively financial stability and have possessions and have our good times and get our three-bed, two-bath, white picket fence, two-car garage, and the azaleas that bloom, yet we don't care about the people that we say we care about because we know they don't know the Jesus we know, yet we sit silent in the shadows while they perish in unbelief. I'm confused. I'm confused. I I don't understand. Is it going to take us getting to heaven and realizing that the people we thought were there are not there? And if they and their religion did not make it, what does that say about all the other people that are still left here that do not know? I know this is not popular preaching. I know y'all ain't going to be lining up for me to sign your Bible or buy my bestseller afterwards. But let me tell you something. I I have a God-given assignment today to get up and tell you what thus saith the Lord. We can't buffet our Bible. We can't be picking and choosing what parts we want to talk about and the parts that kind of sting or the the parts that kind of don't settle well. We can't just skip over it. Somebody's got to get up, leather lung full of the Holy Ghost, point their finger in our faces and say, the Bible says that Jesus came, that he gave his life, that he died, he buried and he rose again so that we do not have to die and go to hell. I know it's just easier and it feels better to not say the word hell, not talk about fire, not talk about suffering, not talk about pain, but let me give you some perspective. Imagine the people you love the most on this planet burning. That was one of the things that hit me when I became a Christian is it was almost like I got a different set of lenses. My filter changed. Because I realized how lost I really was, despite how good I thought I was. And after I became a Christian, it was like my eyes were opened up to this revolutionary truth that was so hidden, yet so simple, right there within reach. I mean, just 15 miles from where I grew up was a church preaching biblical truth, not feel-good gospel Not somebody tickling the itching ears of patting everybody on the back, patting them on the back and packing the bags for hell, telling them that they're doing a good job. Somebody that got up gun barrel straight with a Bible and loved me enough to tell me the offensive truth of the gospel, to tell me that this book was bloody and my salvation was too, that my sin was awful and grotesque and it was a horrible offense to a just holy God. And he took means into his own hands because I would never be able to earn or merit or work my way to heaven. So he did it for me so that I could know him in the full pardon of salvation. My eyes were opened up. And I remember walking back into the high school that next Monday. I saw all my friends different. Here was the the horrible part about it. I could see my friend. I'd imagined my friends burning and the anguish and the terror that would be on their face, the shock that it was real the whole time, the shock that it was real, that they would go there and then they would find out that I knew how to keep them from going there.
And I couldn't pay attention to Spanish class or, 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 or calculus or whatever the heck I was taking in. I, I, a PE, it, everything was different. I, I, I looked at all of them. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I started loving people I didn't even like. I walk in my house and I saw my parents different. I saw my little brothers different. We'd go to our family outings and I'd see my cousins different. And they'd be talking or telling a story or standing around the Georgia, watching the Georgia game and laughing and screaming at the TV. And I'm just sitting there looking at them at the age of 18 with almost like a, a new set of eyes thinking, I didn't know. I've never heard them ever even mention it. I've never seen them care about church. I've never heard any of them pray. I've never heard them talk about God or his word. Like, and I'm being taught right now that most people don't know, is my family most people? Are my friends most, and they were. They are. And what's interesting in this story in Luke 16, he says, I got, Five brethren that I don't want to come here. What if you change your objective in this life? I, can, I, can, I, can I say something to you, sir? Being able to retire at 60, 62, or 65 is actually not your biggest problem. Your child suffering for eternity is your biggest problem. Paying off the mortgage early, getting debt free, those are problems. Those are real life American, paying for gas right now, real life American problems. That's not your biggest problem. You know what my biggest problem is? I still got family that's not going to heaven. I still got friends that know I'm a preacher. And no, I've been doing it for 20 years, and they're not going to heaven. Knowing that there is a community on every side of where this church sits that is blind in their North Georgia religion to the truth of the gospel. And we want to come over here and get entertained for 90 minutes. And the reality is the mission field is on our doorstep. If I put five chairs up here, if I just set five chairs up here and ask you the question, who are the five people right now that don't even know it, but their soul is begging you to tell them the truth? What if you had five people? They don't even know it. They don't even know it. But if they did, they would beg you right now to tell them the truth. And I know what you're thinking. I got to get them the new grace. I like the way you're thinking. I like the way you're thinking. But what if you can't get them to Jesus and you're supposed to get Jesus to them? I want to show you something interesting in verse 29. Can I show you something? Y'all just stay with me back there. Maddox, just stay with me, all right? Verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Now, wait, well, hold up, hold up. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? You're going to see that reference in the New Testament sometimes. When Jesus says Moses and the prophets, do you know what he's talking about? He's talking, yep, yep, you're right, Nathan. He's talking about this part, the Old Testament. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, and many of the prophets wrote the other. Now, there's argument on what parts were actually available at that time in circulation. The idea that, look, here's what Jesus is saying. It's 27, 28 AD when he's telling the story. And the guy says, hey, I need you to raise Lazarus from the dead, send him out of paradise to <laughs> to the actual time, the mention of time on earth, find my five family members and tell them not to come here, that hell is real. And Jesus makes this startling statement out of the words and mouth of Abraham. No, they got the Old Testament. What is, what is he saying? Well, first of all, there wasn't a New Testament because it was in the process of happening. 
what we see is something very, very important. Jesus points them to the word of God and says, if they want to know the truth, if they want to hear the truth, let them hear Moses and the prophets. And he says, no, 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 man, you don't understand. If somebody was to actually come back from the dead and give their testimony, my five brothers would believe. And he said, no, 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 no. No, if they want to know the truth and believe, let them already hear what I have already said. They won't even believe if one rose from the dead and came to tell them. Here's what I wrote down. Here's the next takeaway. People need to hear God's word because God, God's word is what points them to the truth about eternity. Stay with me. Listen to this. Listen to this. This reminds us right here in our church as Christians that the truth of God's word is greater than the word of our testimony. Stay with me. Stay with me. The truth of God's word is greater than the word of our testimony. It is very important that you know your testimony. And first time I heard that, that church, that, that Christianese, that church language, I didn't know what they were saying. Testimony. What they, my dad's a judge. Are they talking about something with a court system? What are they, testimony. Have all these people been in jail? Like, I didn't know what they were talking about. Testimony. Testimony is your personal story and account of how Jesus has altered or changed your life. Every Christian should have a testimony. And every Christian, I believe, based on what the Bible teaches, should get to a point where you can tell your testimony. I don't mean with one of these. I mean wherever you go that you can be a witness of Christ by sharing your testimony. But here's something interesting. Want, I want you to listen to this now. This is something interesting in Luke 16. Jesus says that the word of truth takes greater precedence than the word of testimony. He says that the word of God has more bearing on the impact of somebody's soul than your own story. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that his story is greater than yours. Your story should point to Jesus' story, but your story ain't about you. Your story is about Jesus. If so be that Jesus has come into your life and saved you and snatched you out of the charred walls of the damned, forgiven your sin, renovated your life by giving you the person and presence of the Holy Spirit, you are now a new creature in Christ Jesus, and all things are passed away. All things are becoming new. You've got a testimony. But Jesus he backhands us right here because he says, your little testimony doesn't have what it takes to alter the trajectory of a soul. Testimony apart from that truth is nothing but storytelling. Yeah. It, it's, so, it's so funny that when you... When you see people who start teaching and preaching for the very first time, you know what they know how to do very well? Tell their story. They know how to tell their testimony. Here's what they do. Here's what, are you ready? I'm going to teach you something right here. You ready? Here's what they do. Every time they preach or teach, the first like 50 times, they're telling their story. That's all they know. It's what they're most familiar with. So they tell their testimony, and they take a few verses. And they, they sprinkle the verses on their testimony. The foundation is their testimony. The framework is the truth of Scripture. What God wants you to do is get to a place of balance and Christian maturity where you flip that. The foundation is the truth of God's Word, and you learn how to sprinkle your test. Oh, my God. You learn how to sprinkle your testimony on the truth. Because here's the deal. You can't be walking around as a Christian for 10 years with nothing but your story. I just messed some of y'all up because you've been doing it for 30 all you got your story. Jesus says people that are going to hell are going to need more than your story. They're going to need the truth of God's word. So how do we get them the truth of God's word? We got to get them the new grace. Well, that, that, that's, that's an idea. But what if you can't get nobody the new grace? What if you can't get them to Jesus? I'm just saying, a lot of people won't come to church. Well, I'll get them to a small group. Are you in one? You going to start one? You going to help us have some? And if you do, are you going to get them to a small group? Yeah, I can get them to a small group. I can get them to a small group before I get them to church. I agree with you. People don't like organized religion, especially this day and age. They don't like it. It's weird. Because church people are weird. They're weird. 
This is weird. And we're, we're look, we, are, we, we shock the crap out of people. We are so full of false advertising, it's not even funny. Our pictures, we look like some feel-good contemporary church. People sitting around with coffee. <laughs> they get in here and we just tell them the truth. I like the way we do it. I like it. Make it look all cool and comfortable and hip. And, hey, let's talk about God today. Come on. Yeah. They get in here and it's just Jesus, 100 miles an hour, full throttle, six gear. Leave the transmission in the road. Tell them the Holy Ghost is here. Large and in charge. I like it. Let's just keep deceiving people. You can get them to a small group. It's easier to get them to a small group than it is to get them to church. What if you can't get them to a small group? What if you are tasked with a difficult divine assignment? Instead of getting them to Jesus, you now have been obligated by your God to get Jesus to them. What, what are you going to do with that when your daddy will never step foot in here? When your cousin will never walk into a small group? When your brother that you grew up with will never bend his ear toward this book in my hand? What do you do then? I got saved. All I had was a testimony. I could tell you what happened. I couldn't explain it all. I didn't even understand it. I just knew that I found out I was a sinner, that somebody took a Bible and showed me that I was a sinner separated from God by my sin, that I needed a Savior, and his name was Jesus Christ, and he was the only means for my sin payment, and I gave my life to him. And I didn't want that whole, hey, hey, I don't want to go to hell. I want to be a Christian now. Hey, I done took care of the thing. I'm good. I didn't want that. I'm all in or nothing. I want it all the way in. I'm going to give my life to the God who gave his life for me. I'm going to go all in. And I was happy about it, and I was telling everybody about it. But I realized I wasn't fully equipped with the right arsenal on how to actually teach or preach and help someone understand what it meant to actually become a Christian. Because all I had was my God story. But I didn't know anything about the actual God story. I remember I got saved. And a guy that was discipling me, and he, he, never, he never took it easy on me. He was really difficult with me. Like, he expected a lot. Of, he said, you, get, you done gave your life to Christ. Like, you're serious, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, meet me at McDonald's at 530. Okay, I'll get out of school at 315. I can get there at 5. No, 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 no. No, 530 in the morning. Whoa, whoa. 530 in the morning. Yeah, if you're real serious, we'll have Bible study at 530 in the morning. I, I made the mistake of sleeping in one time. That joker came all the way out to my house, came down in my room where I was sleeping and ripped me out of the bed. What are you doing? You're sleeping in. People are dying and going to hell. Do your friends know Jesus? You know Jesus. You need to get with it. Yes, sir. <laughs> to McDonald's, we will go. Let's go eat hell and talk about heaven. Absolutely. <laughs> and and, and he, he told me, he said, he said, your story is your testimony. But it's not enough to convince, persuade, or reveal to people the truth of their own state and soul. I said, well, I don't know, I don't know how to tell anybody. You know what he did? He took a Bible, and he gave me, and this is what me and her are going to do in a podcast together. Because I don't have time today to give you the full scope of what I'm talking about. But we're going to break down in a podcast how you get Jesus to somebody. We're going to tell you how to win somebody to yourself. And by the way, family and friends are the hardest to win to yourself because they already know you. And even though now you're saved and you're a Christian, they still know you. We're going to show you how to win somebody to yourself and then win them to God. We're going to tell you how to win them to yourself with your story and how to win them to God with his story. The thing that scares me the most is so many church members in our day and age have a superficial surface level relationship with not only God, but his word. And they don't know what they believe and they don't know why they believe it. And here's the deal. There's so many people in this room who have trusted Christ since they came to New Grace. You thought you were a Christian when you came to this church. 
It's nothing special about us or me. There's just something about the truth, the unfiltered, raw truth of God's word that shows you the true state of your soul and you have made an actual decision to trust Christ. Let me ask you a question. What are you going to do now? Because you got, you got at least five people that fill up these five chairs that do not know where they are going when they die. And some of them are just like you used to be, right? They call themselves a Christian because they grew up around church, they were baptized in an infant, or they were in vacation Bible school at nine years old and made a decision and prayed some prayer. And I'm not saying that that ain't real salvation. I believe, I believe my kids have trusted Christ. They were all real young. They have grown into their understanding of what actually happened. Something that will mess you up, and I don't mean to get off subject here, but let me help you with something. Something that will mess you up and confuse you unless somebody helps you with this is you can have faith at a childlike age, and then you turn around at 25 and come to a church like this, and then you receive understanding. And you look back at nine years old and go, well, I didn't know what I was doing. Let me ask you a question. When you were 25 years old and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, did you, can you explain that? Can you tell me the mechanics of how all that works? That's faith. That's the beauty of a child trusting Jesus. The trivial part is when they come into understanding later and the understanding and the faith are starting to align and come together. Is this making sense to anybody? Because look, some of, y'all, some, some of y'all were staring at that floor last week while I was preaching on hell. And you left here nervous. And there was like, I don't know, seven or eight people that raised their hands. And there was a bunch of y'all. There was a bunch of y'all that were praying that prayer with me and trusting in Christ. And you're, you're already a Christian. I think that's good for you. When it makes you do a checkup, Come on, y'all. You know last week there were some parts of that while we're preaching and we're talking about that. You're going, am I good? Lord, am I good? I'm good, Lord. Am I good? Am I good? Am I good, Lord? That's good for you. Because if we can shake you, if we can shake your foundation out from under you, it ain't Jesus. Your foundation needs to be solid like a rock. Every now and then, man, I'll go read Hebrews chapter 6 or Hebrews chapter 10 or Matthew chapter 7, and I'll go... All right, I'm resting fully in Jesus for my salvation. This is not about my behavior. This is, this is not about how, how well I perform. This is not about how, how religious I work. I am resting full. Like, do you know how good it feels to rest fully in what Jesus did? That is assurance. John said, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. So if your soul is taken care of, what about everybody you love? What about everybody you care about? I'll get them the new grace. Well, what if you can't get them the new grace? And I agree, get them to come to church with you. But can I, can I submit this to you? Can, here, Maddox, put that, um, if you're not going to hell, put that part up there. If you're not going to hell, it's in highlight. If you're not going to hell, make the decision to not let anybody else go there. Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not going to hell, make the decision. This is what you're supposed to do as a believer. Because you've already made the decision to trust Christ for your salvation. Let me say this to you. You're not done making decisions, sir. Young lady, how many people that you care about, not in this life, but in the life to come, make the decision not to let anyone else go there? Imagine quickly, come on, JJ, help me close. Imagine with me quickly that you're sitting in an airport terminal and you are awaiting your flight. You've got your ticket, you've got your bags packed, you you know exactly, boarding pass, everything's ready. You are sitting in the terminal to go on your flight. However, people that you love and care about are in the terminal adjacent to you. They're getting on a different flight. It's not the same plane you're getting on, and it's not the same destination you're going to. While all the people you love and care about are waiting in that terminal to board their flight while you are waiting to board yours, somebody comes to you 
and they sit next to you with a backpack and they tell you that they have got enough C4 in their backpack to blow that plane in half. And they're not getting on your ride. They cannot get on your terminal. They cannot get on your plane. Where you're going, you're going to make it safely to your destination. But they tell you in confidence they're getting on the plane with everybody you love. And mid-flight on the way to that destination, they're going to push that button and send that, send that plane into flames. I have a question for you. What man or woman in their right mind and good conscience could stay seated in their terminal and let everybody they love get on that plane? You would be doing everything in your power to keep your sister, your son, your father, your grandmother from getting on that plane. It is more grave and it is more real than that, ladies and gentlemen, that the people you and I love and care about are getting on a ride. And you and I are the only thing and the only person that may be able to stand in their way of ever boarding that flight. You know what? I came to the reality of that guy that was discipling me. He said, your story is not enough. He said, you need to learn Scripture. So I learned five verses on what it took to show someone how to become a Christian. And like a madman, my senior year in high school, I became the religious fanatic. I became the church boy. People started calling me preacher before I was ever even a preacher. And I'd go to my friends' houses. I'd go to everybody I played baseball with. I'd hunt you down. I'd find you. If you knew I was coming to your house, yeah, see, we didn't have, we didn't have all that, that sharing stuff where you know where your friends are at. Uh-uh, boy, I'd be out in the bushes waiting on you. I remember going to my baseball coach's house. Listen to this. Went to my baseball coach's house. And I gave him a heads up, let him know I was coming. You can walk, you can walk in on your friends, but you don't, you don't go walk in on grown people. You know what I'm saying? I let him know I was coming. I went to my baseball coach's house, and I, had, I, I, I hadn't had a lot of success on actually leading someone to Christ. I had a lot of conversations, and everybody just got real weird on me. I didn't care. I didn't care. Think about it. Why, 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 do I, why should I care? We're talking about... Heaven or hell here. Like, here's the sad thing. Commercial break. Most of us, truth be known, this is going to sting, but i got to tell you the truth. Truth be known, most of us would rather someone go to hell than we have to get out of our comfort zone and tell them about it. So what? What if it offends them? What if it bothers them? What if they think something different? So what? I'm tired of every time I see you, I see you on fire. I want to change that. I believe so much in this God that has saved my life, I want you to go to heaven with me. So I get in there, and we start talking, and I'm trying to figure out how to start the conversation. And I'm like, forget it. I don't have time to sit here and play helicopter. I'm going right after it. I said, Coach Barry, can I ask you a question? I said, if you died right now, like tonight, before tonight was over with, if you died are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? He said, no, Derek. I'm not sure about that. And I said, Mr. Barry, if I could take a Bible and show you how to become a Christian tonight and trust Jesus, would you let me lead you to God? And you give your life to Him? And he goes, I would like that very much. And I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I'd been shot down so many times. He said that, I was like, you know, it's almost one of them things where you're asking somebody out and you know what they're going to say. If I could take a Bible and show you how to go to heaven, would you let me do that? What? Really? You know, it dawned on me. I didn't have a Bible. 
I done walked into out of Bible. And I said, Lord, I need you to bring the memory. Everything, look, look at this. I didn't have to flip it open and show him chapter and verse. I had it right here, right here, and right here. And all five verses, the Holy Spirit helped me remember them and quote them and explain them. I didn't spend hardly any time telling him my story. I took him straight to the story. I laid it out for him. And man, I'm telling you, I could have scaled the wall and jumped through the ceiling. My coach bowed his head right there and gave his life to Jesus in his living room. And since then, I have been able to point thousands of people to Jesus only because I finally got to a point. It wasn't enough to care about where they were going. I had to equip myself. Listen to me. I had to equip myself. And can I say something? If I could go back 22 years and get 18-year-old Derek Anglin to stand right here with a microphone in his hand and try to explain this to you, y'all would laugh at him and go, there ain't no way that joker is ever going to be my pastor. Ain't no way I'm going to go hear that guy preach. I was no different than any of you. But care, concern, and compassion drove me to do something about the state of everyone I loved concerning their soul. Are you going to stay seated in your terminal and let everybody you care about get on that flight? Or are you going to do everything you can with the rest of your life to get them to Jesus or to get Jesus to them? Every Christian in this room has a decision to make. Are you going to take God at his word and do something with it? Or are you going to let the people you love go to hell? Stand up with me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.